Genevieve Nibs, who lost her mother this week. It is a wonderful testimony for the world to watch believers die. For the Christian, death doesn't have to be resisted. It can be embraced because we know that to be absent from our body is to be present with Jesus. When I was speaking with Dave earlier this week, or, or earlier yesterday morning, he told me that he'd been in a lot of rooms and seen a lot of people pass from this life into the next. And he said he had never experienced something like that. What a wonderful thing to say about your own father's death. He said they sang hymns and his father was saying he was lucid just hours before he passed. He said, I'm ready to go home. That is amazing. We had a great week last week. I had a, amen, right. Are we going to be a clap in church and an amen in church or what? All right, there we go. I'm not a Pentecostal, but they got some good ideas. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, somebody said to me, Several people said to me, I really felt the spirit here last week. And I thought, yep, I did too. I want to say this. Every time this Bible is open and preached from, the spirit is here. Maybe I didn't say that loud enough. Every time that this Bible is opened and preached from. The Spirit is here. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is living and active. It's alive. Some of us have to blow the dust off of it. And then when we open it, we let that thing breathe. The Word of God is living and active. You want to see the Holy Spirit come alive in our church? Open the book, read, and obey. It's living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's interesting that it's not called a band-aid. Because it doesn't heal us. It cuts us. It's a sword that it's compared to. And it says that it divides us. It divides our soul and our spirit. It cuts right through it. And it even gets through the joint and through the marrow. And that what it does is it penetrates that whole person and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. The Bible, and I heard someone say this earlier this week, the Bible is our adversary. It is against us. The Bible is there to reprove us. It is there to reprove every demonic thought, every sinful idea, every sinful attitude. It is the Word of God that is there to be our adversary and even our ally. The Word of God is the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about the sad state of the American church for just a moment. George Barna, 
the leading, cho- leading church expert, or leading church polling expert, found back in 1998 that only 43%, 43% of adults who say that they are Christian are absolutely committed to the Christian faith. 43% of Christians, 43% of the church says that they are absolutely committed to the Christian faith. Now again, not a mathematician, but that means that 57% aren't. And we learned last week that Jesus drew a line in the sand and he said, you want to be my follower? You got to take up your cross and follow me. When you pick up the cross, you are absolutely committed. And for Jesus, there is no kind of soft commitment that he will take. But the sad state of the American church is that 57% of the church thinks that they can be a Christian without taking up their cross. Now, lest I read that incorrectly, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Christianity is meaningful. Mark Dever, or Dever, has called this generation of Christian commitment-phobic. His belief is that the average churchgoer today does not want to commit themselves to a church for fear that something better may open up. If this is true, and I, I certainly believe that it is, this form of soft commitment is a demonstration of just how far our modern-day Christian has fallen from the first disciples. Acts 2, 41 through 47 says this. So those who received the word were baptized. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to it. And to the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early church's pattern for behavior was to receive the gospel, to be baptized, to join a church. I'm convinced that the reason why only 43% of the American church today takes that seriously is because only 43% of that American church first received the gospel correctly. The gospel is a call to take up the cross. Does that bother you like it bothers me that 57% of Christians tack this day on to the end of their week? Add to the list of things that they are Christian? Instead of letting Christian be the thing that defines their thoughts and their attitudes, their actions, their way of life, Instead of allowing Scripture to reprove our false ideas of life, 
to correct us and put us on the right path, to teach us and to train us in righteousness, many of us don't commit today. Matt Chandler, one very well-known pastor from the Village Church in Texas, says when the church is just a place you attend without ever joining, like an ecclesiological buffet, you just might consider whether you're always leaving whenever your heart begins to be exposed by the Spirit. And the real work is really beginning to happen. What's the bottom line, says Chandler? Local church membership is a question of biblical obedience, not personal preference. We're going to talk for the next several weeks about what it means to be a member of our local church. Mark Dever says, my own fellowship of churches is a prime example. He says, according to one recent Southern Baptist Convention study, the typical Southern Baptist church, which is what we are, has 176 members. We have more than that. Only 69 of whom are present at the typical Sunday morning worship service. You know, that's one difficult thing for me for Easter. We flood these pews. And what's always shocking about the amount of pews that are flooded and the people that are here, they're normally just our members. If we could get everyone here every Sunday, everyone participating. But this is a statistic that is true about most Southern Baptist churches. 176 members and only 69 of whom are present at the typical Sunday morning worship service. That means less than 50 percent are there where are the other 113 members asked dever are they all at home sick in a rest home or at college are they all on vacation vacation or in the military maybe some are but all 113 of them what do such churches convey about christianity to the world around us What do we understand this to mean about the importance of Christianity in our lives? And what is the spiritual state of those people who haven't attended church for months or even longer? Is their non-attendance really any of our business? The answer to that, of course, if you read the rest of his book, is yes. Cyprian said this, He can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. I'm going to answer three questions this morning. I want to answer this question. Number one, what is the church? What is the church? Question number two I want to answer, and this is specific to our church, what do we mean by connect? What is this connect class and what is it all about? And then lastly, What is the mission of our church? Let's pray this morning. Father, don't let it be said of this church that we're not committed to a body. Lord Jesus, let us be eager to share with our fellow members. Let us be eager to covenant with you through baptism. Let us first and foremost make sure that we have answered the question, am I really saved? Have I taken up my cross? And then let us be baptized. And then let us covenant and enter into an agreement with you and with your people and with your local church that we will grow together in righteousness. Amen.
We talked in our message series, I Am a Church Member, several weeks ago before we started Easter. We pledged six things. We pledged, pledged number one, to be functioning church members. Functioning, that we would tithe, that we would give of our money and give of our time, that we would pray for our leaders, we would be present together to worship. Our verse for the year is Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, in which we are going to, in our mind, for one whole year, remember these words, we are going to defend the faith that has been given to us, we are going to be eager to stir up love and good works amongst one another, and we are going to be together and meet together regularly. Sunday and Wednesday night are the nights that we've agreed. We pledge to be functioning church members. We also pledge to be unifying church members. That church membership was going to be unifying. That people we've never met before, we were going to learn their names. We were going to get to know one another. We were going to take time to pray with one another and for one another. And eat with one another. And to care and concern ourselves in their lives and to fellowship around the Bible and around the Lord's table and to be present at baptism. But we agreed that we would unite. And though this does not mean uniformity, it does mean agreement of the central truths of the faith. We agreed to not let church be about our own personal preferences and desires. We said we are not going to make church about me anymore. We're going to make church about others. Where's the amen now? Galatians 5. There are 14. List of the flesh. 14 in the list of the flesh. Of things that the old man does. And of the 14, 8 of them are about sowing discord and being divisive in the body. The Bible takes church unity seriously. We pledged that we would pray for our church leaders, and certainly we have done that. Pastor Dave shared with me yesterday how it was your prayers that kept him up. But Pastor Dave is not the only one. There are other leaders, and there are other people in our church who need to be prayed for and prayed over. We pledged that we would lead our families to be health, healthy church members. As a parent, I can tell you nothing will please me more. I want nothing more for Claire and for Kellen Summers. Nothing more than that they love Jesus. If Kellen works in a subway, taking tokens for the rest of his life, but he is a faithful church member, you and I did our job. And you, this church, did your job too. Because I know people who have my very last name, who hate the church, when their parents did everything they could to make them love it. Listen to me, children. We are all responsible to make sure every one of these little children loves the church. Do you love the church? Then the children will love the church. Do you hate the church? then they're going to hate the church. Nothing should please us more. Whether our children become doctors, subway token takers, nothing should please us more than that our children love the church and serve in a local church. 
I can't wait to brag on that day that my children love the church. Lord, let that be for all of our children. Finally, we pledge to treasure church membership as a gift. It is a gift. Isn't it good to be here together this morning? And to do so freely? And to open up the Bible and to do so truthfully? And to be able to condemn our hearts and to redirect our paths and to condemn our government and to do so freely? Because the majority of the countries around this world today cannot. And yet, we had a late night on Saturday and couldn't make it to church on Sunday. Mm. As I said last week, the problem with Christians today is that nobody's trying to kill them. You want to see the church start to strengthen? Watch persecution coming in. That's when we weed and separate the wheat from the chaff. God give us courage in those days. But let's answer this question then. Because I think a lot of us may have a misunderstanding of what the church is. So what is the church? Is the church an assembly of people? Is it a gathering of like-minded people of the same religion? Is it a building? Is it something that we do on Sunday? Is it a service? Is it an activity? What is more, who makes up the church? Is the church comprised of believers and non-believers alike? In other words, are non-believers permitted to be members of the church? Can a non-believer be a member of the church just like a believer? Does the Bible even command church membership? Are these requirements that one must keep in order to... Are there requirements that we all have to keep in order to be a member of a church? I mean, once we're in, should there be any expectation of holiness? These are questions we have to answer. Greg Allison, professor of systematic theology and ecclesiology, which is the study of the church at Southern Seminary, says this, the church is the people of God who have been saved through the repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and have been incorporated into the body through baptism with the Holy Spirit. The church is the people of God who have been saved through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and have been incorporated into his body through baptism with the Holy Spirit. The answer to all of our questions is this. The church is a people, specifically the people of God. It is not a building. It is not a service. It is not an event. I wish we wouldn't say anymore, I'm going to church this Sunday. Better that we say, I'm going to meeting this Sunday. Because if you're a believer, you're already the church. The Greek word is ekklesia, and it simply means a gathering. A group of people called out, separated for holiness. You're the church when you go to work. You are the church when you wake up in the bed every morning. You are the church when you pay your taxes. You are the church when you look at pornography. You are the church when you hate your brother. 
You are the church when you love idols more than you love Jesus. Everywhere you go, if you have pledged to be a Christian and to follow Jesus by faith, you take the church with you. What do you say to the world about the church by how you live? You are the church when you bless. You are the church when you curse. And some churches are more pure than others, just like some Christians are more pure than others. Lord, let us desire greater purity. What is the church? I like Mark Dever's definition slightly better. He says, according to the New Testament, the church is primarily a body of people who profess and give evidence. Love this. Who profess and give evidence that they have been saved by God's grace alone, for His glory alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the church. Non-believers are welcome to attend, but find no comfort in your attendance. Membership in the church comes by baptism with the Holy Spirit. And that's for believers at the moment of conversion. The church is not a place. It is not a building. It is not an organization. It is not a political body. We are not here to sow discord about politics. Democrats and Republicans are both welcome here. I am not going to get into this political process, and I urge you, believer, don't do it either. Now, that's not to say that you don't have a vote come this November. But Democrats are saved the same way Republicans are saved. And we're not going to preach politics from this Bible or from this pulpit. I don't want that to divide this church. I don't care about your voting card. What I care about is how closely you walk according to the word of faith. That's all we care about. This, Christian, is your first constitution. Know it. Know it. Like the back of your hands. Let it be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Hide its words in your heart. Democrat, Republican, this is your constitution. The church is not made up. It's not a place where we come here to be political. It is not a social club. It's not a community gathering. It's not a secret society. It's not a place where we go to be entertained. Some of these churches are ridiculous. I am shocked that people really want to go to that. Go to a movie or a play instead of some of these churches. They got flames coming out. They've got, they've got cameras shooting down and drones that fly up and give different angles so that people can see different facial expressions. Who cares? I'm going to tell you why we care about that. Because that fits American culture to a T and the church would rather conform to American culture than the American culture conform to the church. Someone say, you only say that because you don't have the money to do it. Praise God we don't. 
God, don't let us be a church of theatrics. The church is the body of Christ, number one. If you're not a part of the body of Christ, you're not a part of the church. It's made up of every believer who has professed faith in Jesus Christ and is giving evidence that they are saved by growing together to conform more and more to the image of Christ each day. The church is the people of God. If you have accepted faith in Jesus, been baptized, and have not joined a church, I want to encourage you to join a church today. And I know of no better place to join than ours. So now, let me start our Connect class. This is the first installation of the Connect class, which is going to be the new members class at Northwest Baptist Church. For years, we have not had a new members class, but we're going to have one now. Every new member, amen, thank you, brother. I know you support it. Every new member who comes to this church is going to know what we stand for and what we believe so that there is no more soft and meaningless membership in our church going forward. That is the purpose of Connect. The reason why we're doing it from the pulpit is because so many of our church members have been here for so long and may think, hey, I've been a member and I don't need Connect. Let me encourage you, you do. Because the church has a new mission, a new vision, a new set of core values, and a new intentional, meaningful membership class to redirect our people. I want to spend some time right now answering some questions. What is Connect? The Connect class is going to be our new members class here at Northwest Baptist Church. It is our belief that it is essential to the unity. That means we cannot have unity in this church it is essential to the unity of our church and to the perpetual enjoyment and spiritual growth of every member that every member know, understand, and agree with the mission, vision, core values, core beliefs, and membership covenant of the Northwest Baptist Church. If you want to enjoy being a member here, we need to know what we stand for, where we are going what we expect this church to look like in five years. What we expect this church to look like in 20 years. Why we meet every Sunday. And the Connect class is going to do that. The goal of the Connect class is to move visitors into a meaningful relationship with the Northwest Baptist Church by helping them understand what it means to be a member here. The goal or second goal of the Connect class is to inspire all members of the Northwest Baptist Church, all current members, to move into a meaningful relationship with our church once again. We're going to cover several sessions over the next couple weeks. We're going to cover the mission and vision, mission today, next week will be our vision. We're going to cover our core beliefs, our core values, the meaning of membership, and exactly how our leadership works in our church. This is going to be what we do. So when will the Connect classes be? I'm just going to do some house cleaning really quickly. We're going to have Connect classes four times a year and we're going to meet on Saturday for three hours. It'll be for new believers or for visitors. Everyone in the church is welcome to come. Everyone. It's going to be the same content every time you meet, but you're welcome to come. People who don't want to be members, welcome to come. People who don't even like us, you're welcome to come. Just be quiet and don't disturb. 
everyone is welcome to come to the Connect class. And we're going to meet for four times a year, one Saturday for three hours. We found that that was the best schedule. Our 2016 schedule, the next first class that we have on a Saturday will be July 30th and November 5th. And this will all be on our new website, which is ready to launch. You're going to ask, what should I bring? And I'm going to tell you your Bible and a smile. That's it. Bring your Bible and a smile. Does the class go straight through? We'll have breaks, but come on, we'll have food. What will be provided? Coffee and snacks and a little booklet. Anyone and everyone is allowed to come. Connect is designed so that anyone may come and learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we live that gospel out in our church community. The cost of Connect, ready for this? Free, but not cheap. Because it is going to cost you something long term. It's going to cost your commitment to our church. It's free, but it's not cheap. Will child care be provided? Yes. Where will we meet? In the music suite across the street. How do I sign up? You'll be able to sign up online. And David Reed will be developing that. And I'll let you know in the upcoming weeks. Does taking the Clinette class make me a member of this church? Not necessarily. We believe that membership has three steps, or membership is going to follow three steps in our church. In the front of your pew, you have what's called a Connect card, and on that Connect card lays out our path to membership at our church. There's three steps you need to take in the process. Number one, fill out the spiritual questionnaire, which will be available in the vestibule next week. Number two, Meet with one of our pastors. And number three, complete the Connect class. Here's what we believe every person must do when they become a member. They must have faith in Jesus and know exactly what that means. Amen. Amen. They must be baptized. Amen. And they must complete our Connect class. So we complete this. So it does not make you a member necessarily. If you haven't received Jesus as Savior and have not been baptized, you cannot be a member of any church because you are not the church. What is the definition of church? The body of Christ. I want to then talk this morning about what our mission is. This is our first session in what the Connect class will deal with. What is our mission of our church? A lot of people and a lot of organizations have a mission and a vision. The way that I define a mission and a vision is like this. The mission answers the question, what are we doing here? Why do we come to Northwest Baptist Church every Sunday? It's not to impress people with our clothes. It's not to impress people by how often we attend. It's not to give to some perpetual self-help seminar. The mission statement of our church answers the question, what are we here for? The vision statement answers this question, what do we want this church to be? You see on our new logo, it says growing together. We expect there to be growth in every believer's life. So that when you come here and you look back at who you were, you can say in your present state, I love Jesus more 
and I know more about him, and I love my neighbor more today. Here is our mission statement for this church. Every one of us should memorize it. The Northwest Baptist Church exists to cultivate a greater love for God and neighbor through God-glorifying worship, Christ-centered living, and other-directed service. The Northwest Baptist Church exists to cultivate a greater love more and more for God and for neighbor. Through these three things, God-glorifying worship, Christ-centered living, and other directed service. I want to take this and I want to explain it to you point by point. If you have your Bibles, look at them at Luke 10, 27. Luke 10, 27. Read a couple verses before that. And behold, a lawyer stood up. Ooh. Somebody's going to put Jesus to the test here. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life, eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord, excuse me, Jesus speaks now. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus has a conversation with the lawyer. What do I do to be saved? The lawyer says, do this, you've got to love God. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Now go and do it. We say in our church that we must cultivate a greater love for God and neighbor. Jesus taught that the foundation of Christian behavior is loving God with every fiber of our being and loving our neighbors as ourselves. If you don't love God, if you don't love neighbor, you don't love Jesus. Have to do it. You say, I struggle to love. I know. Come and grow with us. At Northwest Baptist, we're going to seek to develop and disciple the whole person to love God and neighbor more and more each day through speaking words of encouragement and truth, by giving acts and doing acts of selfless service for others, and always seeking to reconcile everyone to the gospel of grace. It is going to be our goal that every member of this church loves God and loves neighbor. That is our goal. If we do that, we are fulfilling our greatest purpose here. But there is a further explanation. How then do we love God and love neighbor? So that's what we're here for. To love God more, to love our neighbor more. How do we do that? How do we put feet to that? Three ways. 
God-glorifying worship, Christ-centered living, and others-directed service. Let's look at God-glorifying worship. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.31. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Corinth was a church that was corrupted by the world. They were a church that looked more like the world than the church looking more like, or the world looking more like the church. And so Paul says this to this church. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, Every thought that you have, take it captive for the glory of God. Every word that you say, speak it for the glory of God. Every forgiveness you give, do it for the glory of God. Every time you show up here at Wednesday and on Sunday, for the glory of God. Every time it stings when you give your tithe, for the glory of God. Every time you get rid of sin in your life, for the glory of God. Every time you're abused and persecuted, for Jesus' sake, for the glory of God. Everything that we do as a church when we leave these premises when we come to these premises when we go to sleep at night when we talk to our spouses when we discipline our children when we drive these streets everything we do we represent Christ we do for glory glorifying God everything we do that's the type of church we want to be when the option to come and to deceive your brother, you don't deceive because you would glorify God more than gain. It would be better that you suffer evil and glorify God for suffering evil than to not glorify God. Paul told that exact church when they were taking men to the when they were taking men and women to the court to get their money back if someone had been wronged by another. And Paul says, isn't it better that you just be wronged? Isn't it better that you just lost your money than that you as a Christian take a fellow Christian to the courts of men to have sinners decide what should happen in the house of God? Wouldn't it be better, he says, that you glorify God by just eating it? Yes, it would be. And that's the type of church we want to be. Even in the minutia. He says even in eating and drinking. Do it to the glory of God. You're not glorifying God when you eat a Big Mac. I'm just kidding. I'm not giving you a diet plan. The point is that if your food or your drink should cause your brothers or sisters to stumble, don't eat it. Better that your brothers and sisters love Jesus and you than that your stomachs be filled. What is your food, was asked Jesus. My food is to do the will of my Father. We are called Christians. That means our food is to do the will of the Father. Everything we do to the glory of Jesus Christ. We are a God-glorifying church. So every aspect of our ministry, from worship music to preaching, from our speech to our conduct, and our relationships with others, 
everything we do, ask this question, am I doing, and what I'm doing right now, is it glorifying God? What we are asking every believer of this church to do is if you answer no, we ask you then to glorify God. You glorify God by obeying his word. That's what God glorifying worship means. It doesn't mean exciting songs. It means worship music and preaching is bibliocentric. It means that our speech and our relationship with others is Christ-centered. And it means that everything we do, even in the small things, brings glory to God. So how do we love God and neighbor more? First, by God-glorifying worship. Second, we love God and neighbor more by Christ-centered living. Go to John 1, 3 through 4. John 1, 3 through 4. We know this passage, it's very familiar with us. In verse 1 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We use this passage to get the Jehovah's Witnesses off our lawn. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. But listen to verse 3. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In other words, the meaning to life The meaning to why we exist is that Jesus Christ made it for us to glorify Him. In Him was the life. Where did we come from? In Him was the life. Why am I here? Because He made me. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Everything that we do is for Jesus. Look at Colossians 1.16 through 17. Colossians 1.16 through 17. I'm working on your speed drills this morning. Your Bible knowledge. I heard a very sad statistic. One in every six Christians cannot tell you what the first four Gospels or the four Gospels of the New Testament are. One in six. One in six Christians does not know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. And if you just learned that, don't tell anybody. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, listen to what Paul says. For by him all things were created. Isn't that what John said? In heaven and on earth. Even the invisible things were created by Jesus. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And watch this last one say, for him. The world tells you to live the life for yourself. The Bible tells you to live it for Jesus. Everything, the meaning of life is to live for Jesus. The meaning of life is not to get a Porsche. It's going to be obsolete in a year anyway. Or it's going to be sideswiped by a taxi driver on 95. Don't store up treasures for yourself here on earth where moths and rust and thieves all come to take it away and destroy it. Rather, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where none of that can ever be lost. How do you store up treasures in heaven? 
Christ-centered living. The Bible teaches that everything that we or that has been created was made by and for Jesus Christ and is forever sustained by Him. Here at Northwest Baptist Church, we believe that God is most pleased with us when Christ is exalted in everything we do. Let me say that again. Here at Northwest Baptist Church, we believe that God is most pleased with us when Christ is exalted in everything we do. From how we build and sustain church unity to how we give of our talents and ties to how we parent our children to how we pray for and with one another to how we support this ministry by defending its core values its biblical teachings and to how we share the gospel with others we are going to pledge that as a church Every one of us is going to live Christ-centered lives. Listen to me. Every one of these doors is open for visitors to come in. But membership is going to mean something. Brothers and sisters, this is the responsibility of the church. God-glorifying worship, Christ-centered living. That means, brother and sister, if your brother or sister should be caught in a sin, your job is to go to them one-on-one. I know of several brothers recently who have been doing this, and we've seen greater unity in our church because they have been brave enough to confront one another where they have not committed themselves to Scripture. You say, that's none of their business. I say Jesus says otherwise. Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go to him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take him to take two or three with you, that he may listen to them. If he does not listen to them, take him to the leaders of the church. And if he does not listen to the church, excommunicate him and treat him as a tax collector. You say, will we ever do that in this church? Oh, I pray that we will love this church so much, that we will love Jesus so much, that we care about its purity. Lord, let that be this church. It only happens by the Holy Spirit. Finally, so we're committed to God-glorifying worship, Christ-centered living, and finally, we're going to be committed to other directed service. When we were meeting and I first showed this, I just have to share this with you, when I first showed this mission statement to my team, we meet on Tuesdays in the morning and I bring my ideas and they tell me what's wrong with them. When I... And I say, Susan, just shut it. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We meet on Tuesdays, and first thing we do is we pray. Because even in our meetings, we're going to have the Holy Spirit there. We want God there. It it doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what you want. What matters is this is Jesus' church. That means in how we have people outside to greet us, does that please Jesus? If it does, we're going to do it. So when I first presented this, I came in, I said, this is what I I think our mission needs to be. We want to love God and neighbor. We want to do it through God-glorifying worship, not man-glorifying worship. Not man-glorifying worship. 
God-glorifying worship. Who's the author of your faith, you or God? God, so we're going to glorify him. I said, I believe we can do this through Christ-centered living. We have to be a church that every, every, everything we do looks like Christ. Or we're not the church. We're something else. We've got to bear his marks. The servant's not greater than the master, right? So if the servant's not greater than the master, we should be being persecuted from the outside. If the servant isn't greater than the master, we should look like Jesus. We should be sacrificially serving. And then I said, I want it to be other-directed service. And everybody said, ooh, I don't like that word. <laughs> they said, I don't understand what you mean by other-directed service. What does it mean? It wasn't that they liked the idea, disliked the idea. They didn't like the phrase, but I stuck with it because I believe we can explain it. And I told them I'm, I'm committed to explaining what this means. Here's what we mean when we say other-directed or others-directed. It means the direction of your life is not for you but for someone else. It means that every memory verse you memorize is to bring glory to God in the lives of others. It means that when you give your tithe, it's for others. It means that when you show up, it's for others. It means that when your brother's having a bad day, you call him on his phone and you say, can I help you? It means that when you see your brother walking on a path that leads to certain death, you stop him. Because you're going to make your life about others. Church is not about our personal preferences. It's not about what we get. Come to give. Jesus said, you want to save your life? Lose it for me. We are calling you to lose your life for others. What do we mean by that? Jesus taught that our selfless love for one another will prove to everyone that we are truly his followers. John 13, 35. Move quickly. John 13, 35. A new commandment I give you. The old commandment was impress people by your righteousness. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another. Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. Listen to what Jesus says. Your love for one another is not motivated for your love for human beings. That's what the secular world does. The secular world loves human beings. And so what we see all across the world is accepting human beings and never ever questioning the direction of their lives. If you love a human being from a secular world that means non-Christian, it means you never ever say that what they're doing is sinful. But that's not why we love others. Jesus said we demonstrate that we love him by how we love another, one another. He says, I give you that you love one another. What way? The way I loved you. How did he love us? How did he love us? He took up a cross and he went to Calvary and he put himself on a cross for you and me. His ministry was to tell us the truth about ourselves. His ministry was to love us so much that he would tell us, 
You don't love me the way you should. Deny yourself. Don't make life about your preferences. And follow me. That's how Jesus loved his people. Who the Lord loves, he does what to them? Disciplines them. It hurts. It's painful. But if we want to obey Jesus Christ as a church, we love others the way that Jesus loved us. In truth and in sacrifice. Therefore, true Christian living is expressed through love for others, through other directed acts of service. This includes, but is not limited to, sharing our material possessions with one another and the church. Someone said to me the other day, you know, you don't have, I was talking with the president of Northern Seminary. He happened to, I happened to strike up a relationship with a man who was a pastor who then became a president of one of our seminaries. Thank God for that. In case you guys ever run me out of here, maybe I'll have a job somewhere. <laughs> he says, he says to me, I said, you know, what do you do with this, this, this issue? And we were talking back and forth and he says, you know, he said something that I had said before. He said, you know, yeah, I've heard the same thing, Andrew, that when people say there is no New Testament for tithe, he says this, he says, you know, the New Testament standard for tithe is give everything. Now, unless you want to have a communal chest where no one has anything and we all live in one place, let's just start with 10%. I love that. Other directed service means we give of our money. Susan, she, she's in charge of finances. You heard her say amen, right? It means we give our material possessions. It means when we find out somebody in this church doesn't have a car, we try and help them get one. Amen. I didn't hear anyone say amen. Because I know I'm talking to Americans and they don't like when you talk about their money. They work hard for their money, so hard for it, honey. We give of our material possessions. How can we help you? Yeah, but then if I give, then I won't have. Right. That's right. Because you already have. You already have. Your treasures are up there. But we don't really believe it when it comes to our pocketbook. I didn't mean in the attic. I meant in heaven. It means praying for and with one another. You know, sometimes people will say, can, can you pray for me? Stop and pray with them right there and put your arms, hold their hands. Put your arm around them and say, let me pray with you right now. Bring Jesus into this. Bring the Holy Spirit into it. Show and testify to the world that you believe God changes things through prayer. It means that we care for the sick and the needy in our church. That we make sure no widow or orphan is ever overlooked in our church. It means that we speak the truth and we do so in love. Brother, you're sinning and I love you. Please, how can I help you stop? What do you want from me? I knew of a brother who was addicted to pornography. And here's what his loving church did for him. His pastor, his best friend, his soon-to-be wife... All was connected to his computer. And if he looked up porn, every last one of them would get an email. 
you say, I don't want people knowing. That's because you love the sin more than you love looking like Jesus. I applaud that, brother. Thank you, God, for that bravery that other people would be brave enough to say, don't go this route. Marriages are failing because men expect their wives to be porn stars, to shut up and have sex with them at their will. And we say, no, don't get involved in their life. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Jesus will judge this church if we don't care and speak the truth in love. Well, I don't really know how to tell people. I don't know. Figure it out, but don't let your brother continue down the road to destruction. What will he say to us when we stand before him on that day? And we knew that our brothers and sins were living, brothers and sisters were living in sins, and we said to them, I didn't want to talk about it with you. Jesus says, deal with it. We talk with our brothers and sisters in love because we care about them and we know that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We help one another overcome sin in their lives. I'm here for you. We teach each one gospel truths. Other directed service means we talk about the Bible. It means forgiving our brothers and sisters when they sin against us. Oh, how hard that is. Many of you may have been wounded by someone in our church. Go to them. Don't go further down this road with us without repenting of your sins and seeking forgiveness. And church member, when they come to you and they say, forgive me for what I did, say to them, I forgive you. Why? Because Jesus says it to you every time you love mother, other gods more than him. Jesus, I committed adultery with another God today. I love this more than I loved you. And Jesus says, I forgive you. Now go and forgive your brothers. It means meeting together frequently to stir up love and good works among the body of Christ. Go to Hebrews 10. 25. This is our verse for the year. I want to end with this. Mark Dever, in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and I suggest you buy it. It's a wonderful book. Mark Dever, in his book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, says that the fundamental act of other directed service in the church is attending worship service. It's the fundamental thing we do. Some people come up and say, you know, you didn't tell me what I could do to help. Start by being here regularly. You cannot do anything more to help this church than that. Be here. Make it a point. You can't do anything more. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. This is our verse, and I want to end here this morning. Let us, who's he talking to there? A church. Christians. I got nothing to say to the outside world because they don't worship the same Lord I do. But to you who worship the same Lord that I do, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Thank you, Lord, 
that our dear brother Chase, as he passed from this life into the next, persevered to the end, fought the fate, fought the fight, kept the faith, finished the course. Thank you, God. That we can say together, we will hold without wavering to the promises of God. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is what it means to be other-directed. How can we stir up one another to love and good works? I listed 50 one Sunday. 50. And finally, don't neglect to meet together. You know why? Because it's an encouragement to see that I'm not the only one and that you're not the only one living this life. It's an encouragement to be blessed by the spiritual gifts that have been given for the body and to be used here. Don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. It was already going on 2,000 years ago. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our mission is to be a church that cultivates a greater love for God and neighbor through God-glorifying worship, Christ-centered living, and other-directed service. Would you pray with me? God, we are responsible for what happens to this church. Every one of us. I pray that we would connect to this church. I pray that men and women who don't know you as their Lord and Savior would receive you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that if we have not been baptized, that we would, in your vein, in the vein of your obedience, fulfill all righteousness by beginning our walk with you by being immersed in baptism. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would join a church and that we would make membership meaningful. That church would not be something we do on a Sunday and a Wednesday, but something we are even when we're in the privacy of our own homes. I pray that church would be something we are in our thoughts, in our attitudes, in our actions. I pray that we would be God-glorifying, Christ-centered, and other-directed. Let that be this church, Northwest Baptist Church. Amen.